For you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I'm ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They're mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good. Accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Those are the last six verses of uh, Psalm 38, which is the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, September the 1st, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing our look at the life of Solomon today, along with um, a further reading in James uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, and in uh, the Gospel according to Mark chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. So so we're, we're skipping forward a long way in the story of Solomon. Uh, we're not going to spend anywhere near as much time devoted to the study of Solomon as we did to the study of David. Um, remember that Solomon, the Lord appeared to Solomon twice. The first time was at Gibeon, and he asked him there, ask anything you want of me and I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And God said, all right, because you asked for wisdom, then I'll give you you know, riches and all this other stuff too. And if you continue in my ways, I'll give you long life. <clears throat> so that was the first time that he appeared to him. And then the second time was in the reading from yesterday. So here we have Solomon. He's now married to Pharaoh's daughter, the Pharaoh of Egypt. Um, and so the, da- her da- the daughter, Pharaoh's daughter, went up from the city of David to her own house. So she didn't live in Jerusalem. Um, her father had captured a Canaanite city called Gezer, G-E-Z-E-R, earlier and had given, given it to her as a dowry. And so she, we're told that she went there and made her home there. And, saw, and then he built the millo, which is sort of the, the support for the wall coming into Jerusalem. It would, it would have been a fortification, I guess, would be the best way to say that. Um, three times a year, Solomon used to offer up burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that he built to the Lord, making offerings with it before the Lord. So he finished the house. He built a fleet of ships at Ezion Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. Hiram sent Hiram, the king of Tyre, the one who had built... Um, David's house and who had provided the lumber for the house of the Lord and for Solomon's house sent with the fleet his servants seamen who were familiar with the sea together with the servants of Solomon because they were not a seafaring people they're a landlocked country and they went to Ophir and nobody knows (laughs) where Ophir is I mean there are a thousand different suggestions for where it might be ranging from uh, India to the new world um and, and brought from their gold 420 talents, and they brought that to King Solomon. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Nobody knows where Sheba is either, by the way. Could be Ethiopia, could be Sudan, could be in southern Arabia. Nobody is quite sure. <clears throat> she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind, and he answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he couldn't explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings, and he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. She was breathless, (laughs) literally. I mean, that would be the short way to translate that. It It was a breathtaking experience for her 
to have gone and seen Solomon, seen and heard Solomon's wisdom and all that he had, the way the Lord had blessed him so mightily. And so she said, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. In other words, I didn't know the half of what was actually true. No matter how much it felt like exaggeration, nope, this is way more than that. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I've heard. Happy are your men. Happy is, it, it. think about the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are they, happy are they, is, is another way to translate that. And so that's what she's saying here. Happy, blessed are your men. Happy, blessed are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. What a blessing it would be just to be in your presence, just to be led by a man such as you. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. So she's saying, man, the Lord chose well when he chose you, Solomon. Everybody in your kingdom is blessed because God gave you as king over these people because you're able to do something. You can execute justice and righteousness. It's the most important thing we need in a leader. It's the most important thing we need in a leader, as in a president, in all of our leaders. But more than that, it's what we need as as people who lead the church. We need people with that kind of wisdom. If you would pray for one thing for your pastor every single day, that he would be filled with the kind of wisdom God gave Solomon, that he would he would. Um, execute justice and righteousness, that he would divide the word of God properly and that he would apply it properly to the people in his congregation. That's what your pastor needs and that's what you need to be praying for your pastor every single day. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almug wood and precious stones. Nobody's quite sure what that is. It all depends on where Ophir is. And the king made of the almug wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almug wood has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked, besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. And so exactly what Solomon prayed is that foreigners were coming because of what they heard of of this God, the God of Israel. They're coming to see a demonstration of, of the greatness of God via the greatness of his people and the greatness of the leader that he had set over his people. And that's the way that it's supposed to look for us to sit under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be the kind of people who display his greatness in all that we do, and we sing his praises in all that we do. And people would say of us, happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. We can be filled with that same wisdom if that's what we're seeking. And Solomon ultimately, in in Ecclesiastes, says, I sought all this other stuff too. And you're going to see some of that tomorrow. I sought all this other stuff too. And and what it did was it took me away from my first love. It forgot me. I forgot. It caused me to forget. To keep the main thing the main thing. he, He lost his perspective. He lost his way. But finds it, I believe, at the end 
when you read Ecclesiastes because because he's trying to point people in in the right direction and saying I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I put a lot of value in things that don't have any value. And and here I stand. So don't make the mistakes I made. That's the most important advice you can ever give your children, right? In the gospel, um, remember the trial happened. They found Jesus guilty of one thing, blasphemy. He said that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. They found him guilty of that. And so in the morning, the chief priests had a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. That's the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. They had, they had a discussion with them, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, who's the governor. And so Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you've said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, and Pilate was amazed. I mean, he, he, as, as, a, as a lamb is silent before its shearers, Jesus knows how kangaroo courts work. He knows what the end of this will be. And so there's no defense to be made because he has told the truth, and he has said, I am the king of the Jews. I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God. And there's no defense to make against these charges that they make against him because what, what, it makes no sense. If he is actually the king of the Jews, then the charges they bring against him are spurious charges. And there's no reason to answer these things, but which of us would be able to, to have that sort of self-control to sit and listen to all these things and make no response at all? It's, it's, a, it's an incredible measure of his greatness that he doesn't respond to these things. Now at the feast, he, Pilate, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked, and among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them, to release this a prisoner. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. So there was a wisdom that Pilate had. He saw these charges against this guy don't make any sense at all. This is just jealousy because the people have loved this guy. <clears throat> the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Amazing, right? I mean, the, these are the people who were there last Sunday who were cheering Jesus on and proclaiming him to be the very king that he was. And now here, they'd rather have an insurrectionist and a murderer released than Jesus? It's unbelievable. The fickleness of humanity is almost beyond belief. And I'm sure you've seen it. If you've lived any length of time at all, you've seen that fickleness in us Hopefully you've seen it in yourself and maybe trying to work to quash that. But, but, but humanity is incredibly fickle, and so that here he, he's no longer playing the tune. And they've rejected him and they've turned on him, and instead they want to, they'd rather have an insurrectionist and a murderer among them than, than Jesus, the one who has healed them. Unbelievable. In the epistle lesson from James today, you get James lecturing because that's what James does, and he's good at it. He, he makes sound arguments, and he, and he makes simple 
and sound arguments. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We do. Those of us who teach have a huge responsibility before the Lord because we are representing Him. And so we've got to pray for ourselves to have that kind of wisdom that says, Lord, and we come at the text with a humility and say, Lord, I, I, I'm like Solomon said he was when he asked you for wisdom. I, I'm, I don't know up from down, right from wrong. I need your wisdom. I'm just a child. We've got to come to this with a humility that says, Lord, you've got to teach me in order that I can teach others. And so he says, you shouldn't desire this because there's, there can become too much honor attached to teachers. And then it becomes more and more difficult because uh, Jesus is willing to let 10,000 people walk away. Not many teachers are willing to let crowds walk away and to watch their audience dwindle. There was a guy that I heard about that had a big, big church, and a friend of mine was there to witness all of this. Two friends of mine actually were there, and the man had a heart attack, and he had built this church of about 10,000 people. And while he was recovering from the heart attack uh, in the hospital, the Lord spoke to him, came to him, and said, I'm not pleased with what you've done. And the man was deeply moved, and he comes out of his coma or whatever that he was in, and, and then he tells the elders this and, and said, I think it's time for me to step down. You know, he was very proud of what he had accomplished, and, and so he decides to step down. They called um, some people, and, and then they said, let's, let's hire a consultant and see if, if, the, if the guy changes the, the church the way that he's talking about what would happen. And what they were told was you'd lose about 4,000 people almost immediately if you went towards discipleship and towards deeper stuff rather than um, seeker-sensitive. And he said, I can't do that. I worked too hard to build this. Oh, my gosh. The Lord said he wasn't pleased with what you'd done. And that's your response. I worked too hard to build this. What have you built? And so it, it, that's the reason not many should become teachers, because you you've got to to be humble before the Lord and allow Him to teach you. Make sure you're doing His will and, and His work, not your own. We all stumble, He says, in many ways. And if anyone doesn't stumble in what He said, He's a perfect man, able to bridle His whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide the whole bodies as well. Look at ships. Although they're large, driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small memory, yet it boasts of great things. And that can be exactly what I was talking about. The problem with teachers is that, that if you get a following, then, then it becomes difficult to tell hard truths to that congregation. It's easier to speak truth about other congregations than it is to speak truth about your own. You know, We have sins among us that we need to speak about as well, right? Um, but, it's, but it's easier to talk about the sins of people out there. So, and then you, you keep your crowd that way. <laughs> That's not what Jesus did. Jesus spoke to the people he was standing in front of, and he confronted their sins that way. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, speaking of the tongue, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So if you think that you're keeping the two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, he says, no, 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 we're really good possibly at saying things, at least paying lip service and blessing our Lord and Father, but with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So we're cursing God's likeness. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? 
Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Busted, guilty. I mean, you know, is there anybody that you know, you know, or you <laughs> who doesn't do the things that he's talking about? I mean, our words matter, and I'm not talking word faith. I'm saying that that the way that we speak matters, and we need to be praying for people, taking pity on people, just the way we take pity on ourselves. Um, C.S. Lewis said that, that he used to think the dumbest thing he'd ever heard in his life was love the sinner and hate the sin. He said, I didn't think that was even possible, and I realized that I did it all the time with myself. I hated the things that I did, but I loved myself, and I forgave myself for those things. And he said, now that the when God showed me that, I realized that I had a responsibility, and the responsibility was to extend that same grace and mercy to others. Well, if I'm doing that, it's hard to curse them too. It's always a challenge. It's always, always a challenge to bridle the tongue. Queen of Sheba blessed the Lord with her tongue, blessed the Lord over Solomon. Jesus blesses those who persecute him. He told us how to live in the Sermon on the Mount, and then he says, keep an eye on me, and then he showed us how to live.